Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. back and welcome to another brand new edition of Paranormal Almanac. I am your host Kurt Sandvig and on this edition let's talk about gin. And I mean we're really going to talk about gin. Not the drink. You're going to have to wait and see. But first as always we have shout outs. That's right shout outs are back to the beginning of the episode. These are the patrons that make the episodes actually happen. So if you don't like hearing a list of people that actually make this show then I highly suggest you skip ahead 30 seconds. Well, do it a minute. What the hell? Skip ahead a minute. Because I'm going to shout out the people that make this show possible. And those people are Jen, Elizabeth, Frederick, Steve, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Matt, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, The Croatian Sensation, Damien and Daniel, Jasmine, Ian, Eric, Branda, Jen, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, Eek, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Adam, Ashley, Krista, Eerie the Cat, Fran, David, and Sean. What's that? Ian, Lorelai, Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Carrie, Jim, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Bill, Russell, Tanya, Chris, Brandon, I, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, D, Sean, Bishop, Cole, Paula, Alicia, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Rachel, Lindsay, Hahn, Jennifer, Megan, Adam, nope, Aaron, Amy, Jeff Teal, happy birthday, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Joshua, Shelley, Lauren McCune, hey howdy hi, Lily, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J Mark, Amber, Carolyn, Mark, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Rutho, Todd, Jamie, and Eli. Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Laura, Gamerfan, Lauren, and David, with a special shout out to Joe Teague. Alrighty, that about does it for the shout outs. I want to thank them all. Once again, you can go to patreon.com slash paranormal almanac for all your Patreon needs. Alrighty, with that out of the way, let's get on over to paranormal news. This time we have a supersized edition of paranormal news. So trust me, Sit for a spell, because we got some news to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. story up in paranormal news asteroid almost as tall as blackpool tower hurtling towards earth's orbit at a crazy speed that's right an asteroid almost as tall as the blackpool tower in england is hurtling towards earth at an astonishing speed it's being watched by nasa it's on the track to enter earth's orbit on tuesday november 10th oh my god well i think we're okay because i'm recording this on tuesday november 10th so Fingers crossed I don't die before the end of this episode. It's expected to zip past Earth at a speed of 25,000 miles, which is the equivalent to 11.2 kilometers per second. NASA estimates the rock 
flybys, flies by at 12.48 Eastern Standard Time. Oh, wait. All right, we're good. We're all right. We, we survived, everybody. Good, good job, all. We did it. Yay, we survived. I guess that's not much paranormal news if it's already just, it just zipped by us a couple hours ago. And we survived? So we're good. We're good. Good job, everyone. Let's move on to the next story in paranormal news. Let's see if we survived this one. This unidentified plane flew over California. The Air Force won't even admit it exists. So technically, this is a UFO story. They think the aircraft, which is similar to an RQ-180, which is a high-altitude speed drone, spy drone, um, they think it's very similar to that, has been spotted over Southern California for a few times now. It's always flying over Edwards Air Force Base, and they say it's unlike anything they've ever really seen. They even have photos of it. It really does look like, like a B-1, you know, bomber, like some kind of spy plane, but, but tan or maybe white. And they said, even though it is technically a UFO, the Navy says they won't even acknowledge that it exists. The Air Force says they won't acknowledge it exists. In fact, the government won't even acknowledge that it exists. They, even with the photos, they went, nope, nope, that doesn't exist. And they're like, but here's some photos of it. They're like, no, no, we're good. That, that thing doesn't exist. So they think it's a high altitude drone, um, high altitude spy drone that is stealth and can go for, it was flying in a racetrack pattern, an estimated altitude of 20,000 feet. It's a strategic bomber. They don't know how long it can fly for without having to land to refuel. So if you see a little triangular, you know, you know, think of a stealth bomber. If you, if you see something like that up in the sky and it happens to be like white or tan and you live in California, that's probably what you're seeing. Yes, again, technically a UFO, but not the alien kind. All righty, up next in paranormal news. That's right, our favorite cryptid, Nessie. Well, not necessarily our favorite. One of our favorite cryptids, Nessie, has been spotted again on sonar. That's right. That makes it like, what, the third time? Yeah, it's like the, yeah, it's the third time that Nessie has been spotted. They said it, it doesn't appear to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience anymore because she's being spotted again and again on sonar. So something big is down there. Something's in the lock. And frankly, they don't know what the hell it could be. And the next story is also about Nessie because they said an unexpected sighting makes waves in the iconic Highland Lock. But this one is not the Loch Ness Monster. Hi, Stitch. They said there was an unusual sighting reported on the Loch Ness over the weekend. And this was a couple weekends ago. Uh, this was in October. Yeah, October 19th. They said there was an unusual and unusual sighting that was reported on Loch Ness over the weekend, but this time it was not Nessie. It was a Catalina seaplane. The alert was raised around 5.50 p.m. when the crew aboard the seaplane PBY Catalina called for help after they experienced engine issues and had to make an emergency landing in the lock itself. It's actually a World War II flying boat plane, and it's a really cool-looking plane. Thankfully... The plane survived, the people survived, Nessie survived, frankly everyone survived. It was one of those happy ending kind of news stories. Up next in paranormal news, longtime pilot photographs mysterious orange orb in the daytime sky over North Carolina mountains. A 45-year-old pilot, Charles Cobb, had never seen anything like the orange-tinged, orange-tinged orb. Ooh, that's hard to say. He hadn't seen anything like the orange-tinged 
Oh, fuck you. The orange-tinged orb high in the North Carolina mountain sky on a sunny late morning in June. He said the object was round and irregular. It would suddenly plummet tens of thousands of feet before soaring right back up. This wasn't dust. This wasn't a typical orb. And they said that um, Cobb, who is an... As a 45-year... Oh, as, as a 45-year pilot. He wasn't 45 years old. He's actually 88 years old. He's been flying for 45 years. He started flying in the Korean War combat, and he spotted this mysterious object while sitting at the Silver Creek Airport in Morganton, North Carolina, where he visits each day to check on the 1940 Piper Cub that he keeps in a hangar. Minutes ticked by as the object and its exhaust plume hovered 30,000 feet to 40,000 feet high towards Table Rock. I'm not sure what Table Rock is. He was referring to a plateaued peak northeast of Asheville that's a popular tourist destination for its panoramic views of the surrounding Linville Gorge. So finally, Cobb said he pulled out his iPad, took photos of the flying object and its opaque center. He said it was 11:18 uh, June 12th. Now he took a photo of it. It really doesn't look anything more than like what you'd expect. It looks like an orange orb with, uh, I guess it kind of has a contrail behind it. And he said he recalled the object dropping uh, at times to maybe 15,000 feet before shooting back up to at least 30,000 feet. He says, I don't know what this thing was, but we have nothing like it man-made that can do what this did. Look, this guy's been flying for 45 years. I believe him. He said the, flat, the craft was also flying parallel during the 15 to 20 minutes that he watched it. He said it's not a comet. Comets just come towards you. They always point, point north. They always just go in one direction. This was definitely not a comet. And they actually talked to somebody at the astronomy club nearby who said, yeah, there's no comets. That, that wasn't what it was. He said it really looks to me more like sunlight reflected off a distant jet and its related condensation trail. But the pilot himself said... That's not what I saw. I know what I saw, and it was a UFO. That one's cool. 45-year pilot that saw a UFO knows exactly what it can be and what it can't be. All righty, moving on, though. Glowing auras and black money. The Pentagon's mysterious UFO program. In the $600 billion annual, $600 billion annual Defense Department budget, the $22 million spent on the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. You guys already know about this. I've talked about it many times. They said it was almost impossible to find. But this shadowy program, which began in 2007, is real and found UFOs. They said, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed or sorry to say this. We found what we were looking for, and it was UFOs. All right, let's keep moving on. Here's a fun one. 10 haunted roads in the U.S. for ghosts, supernatural creatures, and UFO sightings. That's right. If you want to see stuff, you're traveling across the U.S. Here's where you see it. Jeremy Swamp Road in Southbury, Connecticut. They, uh, they say it's, it's got a bunch of stuff, including melon heads. I don't want to go too deep into melon heads because it's coming up in the next episode. The very next one is the Bloody Bride Bridge and Boy Scout Lane at Stevens Point, Wisconsin. The Oasis Street, Appleton, Wisconsin. Route 66 in Villa Ridge, Missouri. Stagecoach Road in Marshall, Texas. Route 666 in New Mexico. I didn't even know about this one. It's a U.S. Route uh, 491, which is formerly 
Route 666 was known as the Devil's Highway because of its number and the relatively high fatality rates along the New Mexican stretch. Goes through some of the fun stuff. Oh, who else? We, oh, we have uh, Sand Hill Road in Las Vegas. I've actually been on that one. Route 375 in Rachel, Nevada. I've been on that one. Ortega Ridge Road in Montecito, California. That's in California. I should check that one out. And Prospector's Road in Garden Valley, California. What can you see on these things? Well, you can see cryptids, UFOs, ghosts, demons. Let's see what else we got. Another UFO, uh, haunted, it's a haunted highway, supernatural dogs. Um, let's see what else we got here. We have uh, disembodied souls. All right, sure. I don't know how you'd see a disembodied soul, but all right. Uh, the, there's also, um, oh, the the deaths of, as always, as you guys know, the deaths of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and, you know, they'll push your car over stuff. The typical creepy urban legends. But there you go. So if you're anywhere near any of those roads, I highly suggest checking them out. I'm going to check out the two in California, especially the one in Prospector's Road and Garden Valley. And, well, actually both. And Ortega Road, Ortega Ridge Road in Montecito, California. Look, I love a good spooky road. I will definitely check those out. Up next in paranormal news, not Nessie, but how about Champy in Lake Champlain? That's right, tourist chiefs at the American Lake have set up a challenge to record sightings of a sea monster known as Champ, who is, lost, who is known locally as Nessie's brother. They want people to try and snatch a photo or video of the legendary beast. It's uh, Lake Champlain in New York State, in case you guys didn't know. They're calling it the Champ Challenge that is set up on their website and will prove once and for all that their monster exists. So basically they're saying, hey, look, everybody's finding things over in Loch Ness. Well, we'll st we're still here. We still have a monster of our own. Not a monster. We still have a creature of its own, of our own. So help us find Champ. And I think I'm going to make this one the final one in paranormal news. Finally in paranormal news, here's a dumb one for you. Miley Cyrus said she made eye contact with an alien after being chased by a UFO. That's right. The Miley Cyrus says she was chased by a UFO and made eye contact with an alien. Speaking to interview via US Weekly, Miley said she was once followed by a UFO while driving and made full eye contact with the alien, which honestly is one of the weirdest things that this reporter has seen this year. She said, I was driving through San Bernardino with my friend and I got chased down by some sort of UFO. I'm pretty sure about what I saw. The best way to describe it is a flying snowplow. It had this big plow in front of the, in front of it and it was glowing yellow. I did see it flying and my friend saw it too. On top of that, other cars stopped to check out the flying object and presumably not everyone on the road that day had, a, had bought, well, this is dumb. Miley also said she saw a being sitting in the front of the flying object and said that they made eye contact. It looked at me and we made eye contact. Oh my God, how many times can you say eye contact in one story? And I think that's really what shook me, looking into the eyes of something that I couldn't quite wrap my head around. I was shaken for like five days. She said it fucked me up. I couldn't really look at the sky the same. I thought they might come back. Alrighty, that about does it for paranormal news. There's actually a lot more stories. There's like 30 more stories, but this there's actually a lot to this episode. So I don't want to just sit here and talk about paranormal news. I want to get to the good stuff. So before we go to a quick break, you can go to storeenvy.com slash paranormal almanac for all your paranormal almanac merchandise needs, including 
new sweatshirts, murder bacon shirts, and new sizes on a lot of the classic stuff, if you will. They added a bunch. Supposedly, they said it was going to be November 1st. It didn't happen November 1st. Supposedly, by the end of this month, they're going to be fully back in stock. They're going to allow me to make some new shirts, some new designs that fans have helped me with, including a shirt that just says, Bitches Love Stitches. And it's obviously a photo of Stitch, which I think is hilarious. I think it's cool. I can't wait to make that shirt for you guys. But there's also a bunch more designs that I want to get out there for you guys. So check on storeenvy.com slash Paranormal Almanac. And thank you to everybody who voted for Paranormal Almanac. I was actually up for a Higgy Pop Award. Higgypop.com has the Paranormal Awards. And this podcast was nominated by one of you lovely, lovely listeners was nominated for an award. I posted about it on Facebook and um, in the in the Facebook group. I talked about it online, a bunch of social media stuff. But for everybody that voted, the voting ended November 13th. So you have a couple more days. I think this episode will be up before then. So if it's not November 13th where you are yet, or if it is, if it's not November 14th where you are yet, please Go to HiggyPop.com and vote for Paranormal Almanac. I cannot thank everyone enough for those people that did vote. I think this is amazing. It's an amazing honor just to be nominated. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. Alrighty, we are back. Now, I've been asked to do this episode for a while, but I also have a couple of people say that I shouldn't tempt fate and talk about gin. Now, again, I'm not talking about the drink gin. I'm talking about J-I-N-N, like genies, if you will. I've been told by a few listeners to say that, hey, look, you should not tempt fate. Do not talk about the gin. Don't give them any credence. Just don't mention them at all. Bad things can happen. So with that, let's talk about the gin. First up, for those that don't know what a gin is, well, I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. So I guess for everyone, whether you know what a gin is or not, let me tell you just a little bit about the gin. A gin, sometimes called genies, it's mostly, you know, like Westerners that call them genies, but a gin are religious creatures that have been talked about in the, in the Quran and a ton of other Islamic texts. Now, there are a few different kinds of gin that I'll go into later, but uh, keeping with this overview of gin, there are the... The Merid, the Ifrit, the Jinn, the Jan, the Ghul, the Shaitin or Shaitan, the Hin, the Nasnash, the Sheik, the Silat. Sometimes they're just called demons. Sometimes they're called the Devil, Hatif, Kareen, and I'll be honest, probably more. There's a lot to this episode. I am definitely going to miss stuff on this episode. Let me say that again for everybody because I know someone's going to message me saying, you missed a big one. Sorry, Stitch. Here you go. Sit down. I am definitely, definitely going to miss stuff on this episode. There is just so much about the gin that I guarantee you I will get some stuff right, I will get some stuff wrong, and I will just plain miss stuff. This deep dive took me forever to do. Like I said, people have been asking about me doing an episode about the gin forever. And I'd always start it and then get overwhelmed almost immediately and go, nope, 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 I can't do it. Well, I did it. I did it to the best of my ability. 
This is not a cursory overview of the gin by any stretch of the imagination, but again, I guarantee you, I will miss stuff and mess stuff up. All right, with that being said, let's get to the wiki definition of gin. Let's get that out of the way first, because I think that will help just about everybody kind of get in the right headset for, or mindset, whatever you want to call it, for what a gin is. The jinn are supernatural creatures. They're in the early pre-Islamic, Arabian, and later Islamic mythology and theology. Like humans, they are created with fitra. That is the state of purity and innocence. Just like all man in most religions. All man are created innocent and then they get, and pure, and you know, they get, you know, messed up by being human. Now, jinn are born as believers until their surroundings change them. But the jinn were here first. According to most sites, jinn are neither evil nor are they good. Also, jinn aren't just Islamic. They seem to be mentioned in most religions by different names, but all connected back to jinn. It also seems like the jinn, like I just said, that like it also seems like the jinn were here before us. According to the religious script, they were created from fire before the creation of man itself. So, it goes basically like God, angels, and jinn at the same time, roughly, then man. Alright, so since they were here from the beginning, they are also often mentioned in connection with evil or the devil. In fact, both devils and jinn feature in folklore and are held responsible for misfortune, possessions, and diseases. However, the jinn are sometimes really supportive and benevolent. They're mentioned frequently in magical works throughout the Islamic world. They're said to be summoned and bound to a sorcerer, but also, <laughs> see this is what I'm saying, but also jinn are found in the zoological treaties as animals. If you sat through that, good on you. Let me dumb it down for you. Jinn are kind of like genies, but you don't want to piss one off. Now, you're going to hear some stuff that sounds really familiar that is actually attributed to the jinn. Like I said earlier, possessions. So, get the, you know, like, if you're thinking of, like, a genie in a bottle, get that image out of your head. Because even though there is a kernel of truth in connecting genies to jinn and jinn to bottles and Jin to wishes, it is a lot less Disney than that. You with me? You with me so far? You see why I got overwhelmed so quickly? So let's get into the basic Jin. Then from there, let's spread out, and then we'll wrap this episode up with some stories of Jin that are found online. I don't know if they're true or not. You know, it's, that's the grain of salt time, but don't worry. We got a ways to go before we get to the stories. The way I decided to start this episode is to go back to 661 AD. Even though the jinn go back to the beginning, like I said, this one kind of gets you in the mood for a jinn. It's by Arab poet, and I'm going to mess this up, and I am so sorry because I really dug your poem. It's by Arab poet Kuthir Azah of the Umayyad period, which is 661 to 750. Now, he told the story of how he became a poet this way. He says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really kind of abbreviate it, but he says, One day, a man on a horseback came towards me until he was next to me. 
I looked at him. He was a bizarre man, a man made out of brass. He said to me, recite me some poetry. Then he recited poetry to me. I said, who are you? He said, I am your double from the djinn. From that day on, he knew how to recite and write poetry. In fact, he became one of the most prolific Arab poets ever. They say that poets in pre-Islamic Arabia often said they had a special genie or jinn that was their companion. Sometimes they would attribute their verses to the jinn themselves. So I kind of dig that. The jinn, not all evil. You're going to hear a lot about the shit that they can do. But this guy just kind of wrote up and said, hey man, tell me some poems. And then told him some poems, and from that on, he could tell poems. I liked that. So it seems like um, shape-shifting or looking something like the person. Like this time, he looked like him, but made out of brass. That's fairly common in jinn tales. But the early tales of jinn said that they're made out of fire and air. That they can also take the shape of animals. The jinn aren't stuck here on Earth. It seems like the jinn can come in and out of our world or our plane of existence, whatever you want to call it. It seems like they're interdimensional. And they do so because they want to interact with humans. But there are also tales of the jinn coming into our world, snatching a human, and taking them back to their realm. Whether they do that for good or bad, also, just kind of depends in the particular jinn in question. Some jinn only have love for humans. Some only want to hurt humans. And then there's a lot that are right there in the middle. Okay, so that's the basic kind of jinn. It's kind of dumbed down, really dumbed down. It's done by me. But for this next part, I'm going to be very, very careful. No joking around, very careful. I don't want anyone thinking that I'm making light of the word of the Quran. Or, again, if I get something wrong, please forgive me. It's just because I'm a dumb white guy. In the early 7th century, Muhammad started telling the, world of the, telling the word of the Quran. And in multiple surahs, or verses, it mentioned the jinn. In fact, there's one surah that is entirely about the jinn. Now, if I go too far down that rabbit hole, it'll take an hour, and I guarantee I will get things worse. So I'm going to keep this a light overall on the jinn and the Quran. But some, some Islamic scholars say that the jinn are capable of possession and are responsible for most of the world's demonic possessions. Here's my thing about that, though. Oh, that's the, that's the part that I was worried about. I'm done with that. Now I can start having some fun breathing a little bit easier. Here's my thing about that jinn are responsible for possessions. There's a lot of things that connect the jinn to the demons and the jinn to the devil. I get that. But what I don't understand is how a Catholic priest could exercise a jinn with, with Catholicism and Latin scripture. You know, even though it was God in whatever way you want to say it was God that created the jinn, it seems odd to me that the jinn would react to Catholic exorcisms. So, look, I don't know. I couldn't find anything that said why the jinn reacted to Catholicism or why they were, you know, affected when they were, is because they're Islamic, if you will. I don't know. I'm not touching that one. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But like I said, 
While learning about the jinn, I found a bunch of stuff, a bunch of info, basically, stating that jinn are responsible for all possessions. One site said the Arabs of pre-Islam invented a whole set of exorcism procedures to protect themselves from the evil actions of the jinn on their bodies and, more importantly, their minds, such as, such as the use of beads, incense, bones, salt, and charms written in Arabic, Hebrew, and, uh, I don't know how to say this, Syriac? I guarantee I got that one wrong. Or, by hanging around their necks, dead animals' teeth, such as foxes or cats' teeth, to frighten the jinn and to keep them away. In Arabic, the word majnun means possessed, mad, or insane. Something like majnun. Majnun? I don't know. It literally means to be, to be possessed by a genie. J-I-N-N-I. A jinn. And that exorcisms involved reciting the Quran over a person can exorcise the jinn, and even stories of just beating the crap out of the possessed person will force the jinn out of them. See, I can get behind that. If the jinn were there, the jinn truly are Islamic, and they were there forever, reciting the Quran over them, that makes sense to me. But the stories say that the person who's possessed doesn't feel any of the beatings, the part where, you know, you just beat the crap out of the possessed person. They say, hey, you know what? The person who's possessed, they don't even feel that beating. Only the jinn themselves feel it. But when the jinn is gone, guess what happens? Yep, the person starts feeling the pain. Yeah, that sucks. That is a shitty way to be exercised, in my opinion. Sure, we beat the shit out of you, but the jinn left, so, you know, you're all good. Well, all good once you heal from us beating the shit out of you, that is. In the book, In the Nights, it said that by taking seven hairs out of the tail of a cat that was all black except for a white spot on the end of its tail, then burning the hairs in a small closed room with the possessed person, filling their nose with the scent of the burning cat hair, would release the spell of the jinn inside them. But then you're trapped in a room with a jinn looking to possess someone. So there's some fun for you. Now, with that all being said, jinn aren't all bad. They're not just going around possessing people. Far from it, in fact. In Islam associated mythology, the jinn were said to be controllable by magically binding them to objects, i.e., a lamp or a bottle. It is said that one could kill a jinn with the inwa. What's the inwa? Well, that is a manner of throwing the stone of a fruit so hard it could, in fact, kill something. So, if you're really, really good at throwing peach pits, if you think you could kill a regular human by throwing a peach pit at them, guess what? You could kill a jinn. Now, if you're sick and fall asleep under a sacred jinn tree, guess what? They're not going to hurt you. They're not going to possess you. They're actually going to heal you in your sleep. But you have to find a sacred jinn tree. How? No idea. Nothing ever told me. That's the problem with researching jinn. Shit tons of websites. Not a lot of the good info, though. Okay, so besides maybe being responsible for possessions, 
Gins are also said to be responsible for sleep paralysis. Yep. Many Islamic and Egyptian people think that it's the jinn that are responsible for sleep paralysis, and they are the shadow people so many of you are seeing. So, that kind of makes sense to me, because again, we're going back to the very, very beginning. We now have, if in fact the jinn are the shadow people, we now have a reason why shadow people are seen all around the world and going back hundreds of years, if not a thousand years. It's because they've always been around. They're jinn. They were here before us. Okay, Cambridge neuroscientist Baland Halal did a scientific study in Egypt that had 95% of the sleep paralysis people in the study said that they would recite verses from the Quran during sleep paralysis to prevent future jinn attacks. In addition, 9% would increase their daily Islamic prayer, Salah, Salah, I don't know, sorry, to get rid of these attacks by the jinn. In fact, it seems to depend on the jinn and also when you meet up with the jinn. So, jinn are not only responsible for possessions, now, they're responsible for sleep paralysis and the shadow people themselves doing it. This also kind of makes sense to me, because a little bit later when I go through the, uh, the types of jinn, one of them is seen as a hag. Now, if you know a lot about sleep paralysis, it's not just shadow people that people see. Sometimes they see an old woman, a hag, a really ugly old woman sitting on their chest, which a lot of people thought were witches. They also saw black cats on their chests. Well, guess what? As I said earlier, jinn can transform into animals, and what I will say in a little bit later, there's a specific type of jinn that is known as the hag. So it always kind of putting the same pieces together, just in a completely different way than what I thought. Alrighty, like I said, it depends on when you meet the jinn, where you meet the jinn, how the jinn is feeling, but there are stories of a jinn liking some people and helping them with their wildest fantasies, their wildest wishes. But, and those are tons of those stories, absolutely tons of the stories where people come across this jinn and say, wow, there's this really pretty guy with fire in his eyes and he granted anything I wished. Or I came across a person that looked exactly like me, but slightly off. They were made of wood. They were made of clay. They were made of fire. They were made of brass. And that person granted every wish. And I got the fuck them. There's a lot of those stories. But sometimes you find that Jin seem to like one person and one person only and hate everybody around that person, especially their significant other. And it's not just like there are a bunch of stories of Jin falling in love with humans, but there are a ton of stories. It's not just a few. There are a ton of jinn falling in love with one specific human and being very, very protective to the extreme over that person. So here's a poem from pre-Islamic poet Ta Abata Sharan about sleeping with a jinn ya, a girl jinn. The poem is called How I Met the Ghoul. And damn it, I wish I could get Bob Saget to read this one. Like how I met your mother, you know what I'm saying? All right, it says, uh, 
I lay upon her through the night, that in the morning I might see what had come to me. Behold, two eyes and a hideous head, like the head of a cat, split-tongued, legs like a deformed fetus, the back of a dog, clothes of a hair cloth or worn-out skins. Yeah, that poem was about sleeping with a girl jinn. Look, I get that poem all too well. In fact, I think I might have had a one-night stand with a jinnya because I thought this girl was hot in the bar, but the next morning, woof. Head of a cat, yep. Split tongue, sure. Two eyes and a hideous head, yep, that's happened. Legs of a deformed fetus, eh, kinda. Back of a dog, oh yeah. Clothes of worn-out skins, oh, most definitely, yep. Yeah, I fucked a jinn. That's all I know. Alrighty, so with that we know, jinn fuck, they also eat, they also drink, and they most definitely get drunk. Sometimes, the more drunk the jinn gets, the better they get, the happier, the jollier. But just like you and me, sometimes, when the jinn get drunk, they get angry. Here's something else that the jinn do, though. They die. That's right. Now, I can't find a specific lifespan, but it seems that jinn can live for thousands of years, but they can get old, and they are mortal. So, there's a lot of info about jinn, right? Okay, so we know that the jinn were created by God, but who manages them? Like, if you get a shitty jinn, you know, who do you talk to about customer service for your jinn? Surprisingly, there is an answer for that. The answer is Solomon. Good news, there's an answer. Bad news is Solomon's dead. So the Quran says that uh, the wind was made subservient to Solomon. He could control it at his own will, and that the jinn also came under Solomon's control. So we know Solomon's dead. We know that he used to be able to control the jinn, but can you control a jinn like Solomon? Well, depends on where you get your info from. If it's from the chapters of the Quran, Surah al-Jinn, there is not a single verse there which gives men power over jinn, despite what a lot of websites say. There is not a single verse that will help you control a jinn. But, if you buy a 66-page pamphlet called Jinn Magic, How to Bind the Jinn to Do Your Bidding on Amazon, it says you can, you can control Jinn, and it has four stars. So, it must know something about controlling Jinn. Sure, why not? Now, if you look it up, if you look up Can I Control a Jinn in Korra, here's the best answer I could find. It is said that if you recite the Soral Jinn in midnight sitting over a grave in a graveyard, well, that seems kind of redundant. You're only, well, I guess not. You can find graves outside. Never mind, sorry. Sitting in a grave in a graveyard, sitting over a grave in a graveyard for 40 days, that you can have the control over a Jinn. But it's a very difficult task. You will experience the worst nightmares while doing this. The sky will turn upside down. They will try to scare you every single minute of the 40 days. And if you break the Amal, you die. Now, but if you can manage to do all that, in the last day, 
the gin will come in shape of your worst fear. And if you fear it, you die. So you have to sit over a grave in a graveyard for 40 days. You're going to have nightmares, which means you're allowed to sleep. So that's nice. But the sky will turn upside down. They'll scare you. They'll try and scare you every single minute. If you break from it, you die. If you survive the 40 days and the last day, the gin will come in the shape of your worst fear. And if you fear it, you die. Sounds worth it. So if any of you guys want to try that, to try and get your own gin, let me know how it goes. Unless you die. Now, even if you get control over the gin, at some point in your life, it is said, you will be killed by the gin. If you call them without Vazu, Vadhu, I don't know what that is. If you call him without Vazu, the jinn will kill you. This guy goes on to say, this is all still from that answer in Korra. This guy goes on to say, I've heard many stories regarding to this topic and you should always keep him busy when you call him. So, the answer to can you control the jinn? Oh, it's okay, pal. Just a fire truck. Oh God, a jinn just showed up at Stitch's worst fear a fire truck it's okay pal come here you're fine come here buddy alrighty so it seems like the answer to can you control a gin is maybe if you have the ability to do so the strength to do so and if you understand the risks of doing it might be like possession or eternal damnation is another big one that's one that I found more often than not like hey yeah you get a gin He'll do whatever you say if you can control him. But you and the djinn will have eternal damnation side by side. I don't really see a lot of upside to this, but I've heard many stories of people using magic to bind djinn to them for their own financial gain. So I guess, again, you know, try and see what happens, but don't blame me if some priest has to beat the shit out of you to get the djinn out of you. That's on you. Buyer beware. All right, here's one review from that 66-page pamphlet on the on Amazon that I was talking about earlier. Again, if you need the title, if you're really interested in buying it, um, it is called Gin Magic: How to Bind the Gin to Your Bidding to Do Your Bidding. Gin Magic: How to Bind the Gin to Do Your Bidding. So here is a review from that very book. Why? Well, because I liked it, and at this point, I'm going to take any insight into gin that I can find. This book, running at 66 pages, is more like a pamphlet than a book. Being such as it is, the book is a concise instruction guide on how to summon the gin and bind them to do your will. One thing I liked about the book is that it entreats the, it entreats the reader to treat the gin with care and to be courteous with them. That is important. Kurt here, that is very important. Everything I can find says, do not belittle a djinn. Don't come to a djinn from a place of aggression. Always be courteous. Always treat them with kindness and with care. Anyhow, back to the review. The djinn are in many ways like us. They have a lifespan, although theirs is longer. They have free will and they have bodies. While humans live up to maybe a hundred years, the jinn may live up to thousands. They have bodies of smoke and fire, while ours are made of clay. 
They live in the realm. They live in their realm, and we have ours, although there are times that they intersect. The Jin used to be masters of this world. Like us, they were very warlike and almost destroyed the planet, much like we're doing today. Allah's angels came in to clean house and isolate them to certain islands. After that, mankind was allowed to take over. When Allah created mankind, they were made of clay. Allah had all of his angels bound down to the man. Everyone did this except for Iblis, who was the king of the jinn. Now, Iblis was allowed to hang out in heaven with the angels, and that was a big honor. But he lost that honor and has vowed to vex mankind until judgment day. The jinn have very different religions as well. Some are Muslim, while others are Christians or Jews. This is this guy talking. I would have said Jewish. A few might be pagan and others can be evil. Sometimes humans and jinn have gotten married and produce offspring. Jinn tend to live in abandoned areas, toilets, and caves. Jinn have psychic powers. Oh man, toilets. Look, I already have enough fear of sitting on a toilet and a snake bites my junk. Like, I now I gotta worry about a jinn reaching up and tugging on my junk. I don't like that. Don't like that one at all. Uh, he goes on to say, Jinn have psychic powers and can move real fast. Sometimes Jinn are shapeshifters and like to appear as a black dog or a cat. Uh-oh. Another ambulance. That's not, or another fire truck. That's not good. They are large with an imposing presence. They like rituals that involve bodies of water. They are wish fulfillers. The third type of Jinn is a ghoul, which means to seize. These guys are monsters and one that could uh, would not wish to deal with them. The fourth type is a Vitala. These guys possess dead people and reanimate them. You know, kind of think like Weekend at Bernie's. The last type is a Sela. These guys like us and are quite ready to help. The Jinn are ruled over by seven Jinn kings, each of one corresponding to a day of the week, and each one is asking for a different thing. I'm going to screw up some names here. For Sunday, it's Al-Mudhib. For Monday, it's Mara Al-Abayad. Oh, fuck. Marah al-Abayad al-Harith. For Tuesday, it's Abu Miritz. For Wednesday, it's Barkan Abdu al-Adyab. Sure. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. For Thursday, it's Shamharish. For Friday, it's Abu Na Maynum. Maymum. Main. Maymum. Maymun. Abu Na Maymun. Oh, there it is. Abu Na Maymun. Sorry, everybody. Okay, this is the end of it. Altar normally consists of, at the front of a mirror, closer to the operant, is a black and white candle, one on each side. Then comes your incense and your crystals. For these rituals, you do not need a whole lot of stuff. At the end, there are instructions for releasing the djinn. Alrighty. Well, there you go. There's a very in-depth review of a 66-page pamphlet on binding a djinn. Again, I don't want to tell you guys what to do, but... I personally wouldn't deal with a djinn based on what I found in a 66-page pamphlet. But, you know, again, you guys do you. I just give you the info. What you do with it, that's on you. Oh, and does anybody else get the idea that uh, the person that wrote that review is a djinn themselves? Like, they came across this pamphlet and they or book or whatever you want to call it, booklet, and they read it and they were like, huh, there's actually some pretty good stuff in here. I got to give this guy five stars. So... You know, I think if you want to find a gin, find the person that wrote that review of that booklet on Amazon and, and baby, you got yourself a gin. All right, let's get into the types of gin then. Look, I'll be honest. 
looking up the types of djinn is a lot like looking up classes in Dungeons and Dragons. And I don't mean classes like, can I take some classes on how to do Dungeons and Dragons? No, I mean like the classes, the types in Dungeons and Dragons. Because the djinn have their own class, their own abilities, their own look, their own attributes, but it all depends on what type of djinn you're talking about. So that, with that said, let's dive right in. First up, let's look at the Elifrit, or the Afrit, or Afrit. No matter the spelling, they seem to be the demonic version of jinns. And they seem to live on a plane in between heaven and hell that some think is, yep, you guessed it, earth itself. We actually live on the plane between heaven and hell. Now, these seem to be the jinn that witches or people that use black magic are most prone to capture and enslave for their own wealth. Depending where you get your info from, the Elifrit are the mostly used are mostly used to bring things like riches and prized possessions from one country to another. That's a very big one for the Elifrit. That if you have your own Elifrit, you can use them to bring riches and prized possessions from one country to another. Other sources say the Elifrit are the ones that guard the tombs, especially the tombs of Egypt. And while ordinary weapons and forces have no power over them, they are very susceptible to magic, which humans can use to kill them or capture them or enslave them. And as with any jinn, the Afrit may be either a believer or an unbeliever, good or evil, but it's mostly depicted as a wicked and ruthless demon being. So there you go. Your first one in the in the uh, gin type, mm, I'm good. I don't need to meet one of those. Next up is the Galan. Jinns who appear in the form of a donkey, dog, cat, or any animal, or the ghoul version of the jinn itself that transforms from animal to human form to feast on people's flesh. So, where are these guys found? Well, they inhabit graveyards, ruins, and other lonely places. Sometimes they're described as dead humans who sleep for long periods of time in secret graves, then wake, rise, and feast on both the living and the dead. But the Galan are also known as ghouls. That's right. We're talking about ghouls here. They personify the unknown terrors held by the desert itself. And again, it seems the most common attribute to the Galan is cannibalism. So, yeah, you know what? Two for two, you guys have fun with Jin. Next up in the Jin, the Jan. A Jan is a type of Jin, the ancestors Jin, I guess. From what I can tell, they're like the Neanderthals to humans. So it went Jan, and then they kind of evolved or morphed into Jin. But to be honest, I'm not sure how accurate any of this is. There's so much BS written about the djinn that it's really hard to tell what's right and wrong. But other sites say the Jan have the power to hide or reveal oases, oases, sure, oases in the desert. Also, I don't know what the plural of oasis is. Oases? Let's go with that. Now, like I said, they have the ability to hide or reveal them depending on whether they like or dislike a party of travelers. 
the Jan are also the enemies of the Gulan, of the ghouls themselves. Up next, we have the Merid. The Merid are the rebellious demon versions of Jinn. Now, they seem to be the tricksters of the Jinn. You like, you know, like the ones where if you find a Jinn, you get your wish, they're like, hey, I'll give you a wish. And you say, oh, I wish for all the money in the world. And they literally give you all the money in the world, making money completely meaningless and obsolete because you're the only one who has any. Or like, um, you know, you, you ask him like, hey, I want to be like incredibly attractive to women. And the Merid goes, oh yeah, sure, no problem. And then blinks and makes you into a kitten. You know, bullshit genie stuff like that. Anytime you think of like a genie and how he can kind of trick you, that's the Merid. That's these fuckers. All right, up next is the Alcabal. Now they seem to be the scary as hell jinns, but also the most typical and the most typical attribute to the, the Alcabal is taking things the second someone puts something down and putting it elsewhere just to fuck with people. So, hey, Alcabal, you fuckers keep moving my tools, my scissors, my pens every freaking time I put them down and it pisses me off. I'll be working on my old car in the garage. Don't move. I literally put a pen down. Don't move. Grab whatever the piece of paper I need, go to reach for the pen, and it's gone. And it's driving me batshit crazy. So, Alcabal, kindly fuck off. I don't need that kind of gin shit in my life. Not only can they do that annoying shit, they also cause seizures and epilepsy. So three for three. No, actually, it's more than that. Three for five. So one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so five out of five. I'm good. I don't need I don't need to meet a gin. Let's keep moving on. Next is the sea lot. They are the hag or the succubus versions of Jin. Now think of them like the stories you hear of like finding a beautiful hitchhiker, like you're driving down some lonely road and you see a beautiful hitchhiker. And she's like, yeah, I'll get in. And after you pick her up, you're thinking you're gonna get some like roadhead or whatever. And she turns into like an evil old hag right in front of you. Yeah, that's the sea lot. Sea lot are said to live in the desolate parts of the desert where they lead travelers and nomads astray basically leading them to their deaths. They're also said to seduce and marry men and even give birth to a child from the men, creating a human-gin hybrid. The hag part of the sea lot is what a lot of people attribute to sleep paralysis. Remember earlier when I said and there's also like an old hag, an old witch that sits on your chest? That's the sea lot. All right, let's keep on keeping on. Let's move on to the Nasnas. The funnest name on here, the Nasnas. The Nasnas is a monstrous creature. According to the Thousand and One Nights, a Nasnas is a half human being, is a half human being, having half a head, half a body, one arm, one leg, with which it hops on with much agility. It's usually thin found, it's usually found in and around Yemen. All right. Now, they are believed to be the offspring of a demon called the Sheik and a human being. So not a sea lot and a human being, but a Sheik and a human being. 
But other sources say the sheik is a half thing and it comes from humans screwing nas nas. Another source says, nope. The nas nas, well, they're basically Bigfoot. That's right. In the country of Mizir, I don't know where that is, there is a kind of ape man. They're called the nas nas. It's like a giant ape covered in dark fur, but the nas nas have tails. So, the thing about the nas nas is that I don't have a clue what's true about nas nasses. Now, in Somali folklore, there's a creature called the Zungaroof or the Hungaroof, which resembles the nas nas as it has the same characteristics and features. It's believed that it can kill a person just by touching them and that the person would be fleshless in mere seconds. Nas nas or nasty. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's move on to the Hatif. This one's an easy one. Hatif are a disembodied voice. They're just like a disembodied voice jinn. And what are they there for? Well, all they do is drive people insane. If you hear a disembodied voice in the desert, that's the Hatif, and you're going to go crazy. Okay, let's keep on keeping on to the Kareen. They are said to be the constant companion jinn. The jinn that when you find the, or when they find the human that they like or love, they will never leave that human. Now, some say they become the double to that human, but I don't think that's mean to be taken literally. I think that means like they become such a tight union that it's like a double. Like you ever meet that perfect couple where you're like, you guys are just alike, that, that kind of thing. Oh, some scripts say that everyone has a Kareen assigned to them, like an angel on your shoulder, or the devil on your shoulder, or both. Yep, depending how you want to interpret that, the whole little devil and angel on your shoulder, both of them are the Kareen. Just there to basically kind of help you sometimes, fuck with the other times. Alrighty, up next is the Hin, also known as the Bin, the Tim, and the Rim. Seriously, it's known as all, those, as all those. All right, now this type of jinn, the hin jinn, seems to fight on the side of the angels, and they were born from a different fire than the regular jinn. They're said to mostly appear to humans as dogs, so I guess for all I know, Stitch is my hen. He's my Ben. He's my Tim. I don't like calling him my rim, though. All right, up next is the Shaitan. Shaitan. Also spelled Shaitan. It's basically S H A I or S H E I. Look, if you hear me say Shaitan and you're not thinking of Satan, well, you should be because the Shaitan are the never trust them jinn, the dicks of the jinn world. Some just list the definition of Shaitan as Satan. That's right, Shaitan is Satan. The type of jinn has been noted 88 times in the Quran, which is the most of any jinn ever written in the Quran. Then we have the palace, which is a vampiric footlicker jinn that lives in the desert. It attacks sleeping people and drains their blood by licking the soles of their feet. So. This gin is uh, kind of like the Quentin Tarantino of gin. Real foot fetish kind of gins. I want it known to any gin listening that I don't think this next part is true, but 
The palace djinns are said to be the low-intelligence, dumbass djinn. They're easily tricked and outwitted. I didn't say that. Other people said that. Go after those people. I don't need, I don't need to be woken up one night because a djinn is licking the sole of my feet, sucking the blood out of me. That's gross. That's creepy. Feet are gross. Okay. Here is the direct from the source what to do if you think you have a djinn living with you and you don't want them there for basically whatever reason. According to the Quran, upon reciting Surah Yasin, Surah, I'm sorry, Surah Yasin, Surah Bakara, and the, oh, I'm going to get this so wrong, the Muad Hatim, it takes the jinn, if you recite those, it'll, it causes the jinn to flee or leave the place that they're living in. Other ways you can get a djinn to leave, it's basically kind of by tricking them. When you change your clothes, they can't see your nakedness, they get confused, they might leave. Or, when you sleep, sleep on your right side and read the Muad Hatin because the djinn will sleep over you and suffocate you and also make you have nightmares just to bother you unless you're sleeping on the right-hand side and you read the verse before you go to bed. Another thing, beware of planting pins or nails in the puppets or dolls in your house. Why you'd be doing that, I have no idea, but don't do that because the djinn might be in the puppets or the dolls in your house and they will take revenge on you. Another thing to, uh, to think about, do not speak loudly in the middle of the night because you can upset them and they deliberately hurt you in silence. Do not cry alone because your djinn becomes sad on your sadness and they wait to hug you so your body temperature goes high. Uh, I don't know about that one. Um, number six, you should mention Allah when throwing something and jumping from a high place because there might be a djinn sleeping and you could disturb them and they revenge on you. Look, I don't know who wrote this. I don't know who's running around jumping from high places onto sleeping gin, but I'm just reading what this thing wrote. Number seven, don't pour, this is important, don't pour hot water in the toilet unless you say the dua for entering the toilet. Allahumma inna adhu bika manal kubuthi wal kabath. I'm sorry. I know I butchered that. I apologize. Why? Well, because toilets are one of the favorite places that jinn like to stay. <sighs> Man, look, it can't be just me that fears something biting or grabbing their junk when you sit on a toilet, right? Just give me that one. Number eight. If you feel your ears whistling without a cause or an illness and you can smell fire... That's a gin standing right in front of you. So, kind of like, you know, if you're having a stroke and you smell toast, well, this is that if you feel your ears whistling and you can smell fire and you're not standing by a fire and no one's whistling into your ears, well, that's a gin standing in front of you. Number nine, if you see an animal and you get scared or you try to scare the animal but it doesn't respond, guess what, baby? You got yourself a gin. Oh, man, I should have made this whole list. If you see an animal or you get scared or try to scare it but it doesn't respond, you might have a gin. Number 10. 
don't stand undressed in front of a mirror or look at yourself since a djinn can fall in love with you. Yeah, it will. And will try to mingle with you and end up hurting anyone who approaches you. Look, you guys can do what you want, but all I do all day is stand undressed in front of a mirror and just look how good I look. And I know some djinns are looking. I, I know they're watching. Okay, and finally, um, it tells you what to say. It's it's a It says, please quote from the Quran, 72 verses 1 and 2. I don't have them in front of me. I apologize. Okay, with that, it's grain of salt time. Let's talk about some djinn stories from the internet. I can't prove any of these stories are real, but online stories about gin, you know I'm going to tell you them. First one is called The Fight. One time, my mother-in-law was sitting in her bed. She looked over and saw a woman sitting in the chair next to her bed with long pointy fingers and a face with very sharp angles. She was so frustrated and annoyed with the gins, they see a lot in our house and are no longer afraid, they're just really annoyed by them, that she reached out and grabbed the gin by its wrist. She yelled, get out! I'm tired of you, get out! It started to try and pull its wrist away and eventually tried to bite her hand because she wouldn't let go. She pulled her hand away before it bit her, and the djinn vanished. I like that story. That's right, old lady. Tell that djinn to get out. Fuck that djinn. Next is called the djinn and the locket. At my boarding school, we had a few cases of bullying. In one instance, a bully broke a chain on a student's neck. As soon as that happened, the girl started to speak in a male voice while her body contorted in strange positions. It said it was a djinn and had traveled from a faraway place. Meanwhile, the bully's tongue swelled and almost prevented her from breathing. Long story short, teachers were called into the room, and apparently her parents knew and had gotten the chain from her for their daughter from a shaman to hold the djinn in. That's right, the djinn was actually binded, bound? Sure, why not? To the locket in the necklace. Next one, this... This happened when my grandfather was Egypt's ambassador to Spain and was living in Spain. I was two years old at the time. My mother said she would see me standing by the staircase constantly talking to someone. And, and also when she would put me to bed, I would stare out by the door and say, tech, 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 tech. Later on, my grandmother mentioned to my mom that she thinks I might be seeing spirits in the house. And when we were talking about it, my grandfather said that the TV in his room turned on and off sporadically and sometimes could see shadows running across the balcony through the slits in the blinds. My grandmother said that it's known little children and animal can see spirits, so when they're talking to me or something, they assume there were spirits in the house, and I was the only one that could communicate with the djinn. This next one is an old Persian story, apparently. One day, a lady goes to the public bathhouse. She pays the attendant and goes inside. Once inside, she notices someone in the room with her. She looks down at their feet, but instead of feet, the person has hooves. The lady freaks out and runs out as fast as she can. She uh, rushes to the attendant and tells her that she saw someone with hooves instead of feet. The attendant looks at her, lifts up her skirt, and says, Like these hooves? That's like a Twilight Zone episode. Alrighty, the next one is, I grew up in an Arab household with many Arab family friends, so I've heard many scary djinn stories that are all true. A family friend of mine claimed that she went to bed one night and her whole house was a mess. By the time she woke up, her whole house was clean. I definitely don't have that gin. For some reason, that freaked me out when I was very little. Every night I made sure that my room was clean 
so that the gins wouldn't clean it for me. Nowadays, being a wife and a full-time college student, I could only pray that a gin would clean my house for me. And what the heck, cook dinner as well. Yeah, you know, I can get behind that. If the only thing the gin does is clean my house every time I go to bed, maybe, maybe I'd be fine with that. Okay, the next story is a few years ago when I was on my third trimester of pregnancy, I would only be able to fall asleep when dawn came. Just as I was about to fall asleep one night, I felt pressure on the end of my bed. Near my feet, as if someone very heavy sat on the bed, which was weird because I didn't even hear anyone come into the room. No creaking, no doors, no footsteps, no nothing. Just then, an eerie voice spoke straight into my mind. The language was unintelligible and distorted. I knew it wasn't human. But, to my surprise, I understood it. My brain processed it easily, as if I had learned the language somewhere in the past. It asked me to pray my morning prayer. Unfortunately, I was too sleepy and too scared to actually open my eyes. What if its face was suddenly right in front of my nose? So I, so I responded in my head, communicating without actually opening my mouth to say a word. Later, please. I'm so tired I didn't get to sleep. After I said so, the weight on the end of my bed lifted. The air which had previously been heavy with the presence became lighter and clear. I opened my eyes a little and I saw the earliest morning light glim, earliest morning light gleam through my window. My door stood still. No one came in or out and I fell back to sleep. You know, fuck that. Look, again, it's just my opinion, but if that happens to you, say your freaking morning prayer. Just be done with it. Be like, yep, you got it. Sorry. There it is. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep, you know, that whole, whatever it is. Get it and get it done because something was in your room talking to you in your freaking head. All right, the next one says, so apparently in Saudi, my aunt lived in a house that was always being visited by a particular jinn who used to annoy her family. Once she was laying in bed at night with her husband, she felt that something was off, and when she left the room, she found her husband watching TV on the couch. When they went back to the bedroom to confront the jinn, it just laughed and went away. Look, Sean and David, I hope you're listening to this episode one, but maybe it's a jinn. I don't know how you guys got a jinn, but... Maybe you guys got a gin because a lot of your stories do kind of connect to this crap. Scary as it is. All right. The next one says, this is an excerpt. Generations back, one of my forefathers taught the Quran, the holy book, to a child from a jinn's family. The jinn child became a hafiz, memorized the Quran by heart. The jinn's parents appeared in front of my grandfather and in return, as a, as a thank you, they offered him many different things. There were huge trays of gold and silver and whatnots, but he would always not accept it. He said, I did this because I believe I will be rewarded by Allah. By Allah. They wouldn't go. The jinn said, you have done such a big favor to our generations that we want to give you something. After so many arguments, they wouldn't go. So my, my grandfather said, okay, then what I would ask of you is that you have taken oath and promised me for my next seven generations, you would not hurt anyone or make anyone's life miserable. That's a good one. I like that one. Until you're the eighth generation, and then you're like, what the fuck? And all the jinn are attacking you. But still, I like that one. Alrighty, the next one says, My great uncle went to visit his cousins in India. His cousins told him that uh, since it was summertime, they would all sleep in the courtyard together. However, they told him he wasn't allowed to place his bedding in a particular corner. Apparently, a jinn slept there, and strange things happen if anyone disturbs that corner. 
My great uncle said it was nonsense and decided to sleep there anyway. Dick move. One night he woke up on the other side of the court. He laughed at first and thought it was his cousins who were pranking him and decided to sleep there again. Dick move too. The following night, the same thing happened. So he left a note next to his pillow saying, stop pranking me. I know there is no gin. That night, he said he was pushed off his bed and his bedding was thrown on the other side. A note was thrown into his lap which said, I sleep here. The scary part is, it wasn't that dark and he saw no one there. Yeah, guess what? That's what you get, man. You go to somebody's house and they say, don't sleep in that corner because we got a gin that sleeps there. Just don't sleep in the fucking corner. There's other corners. Come on, man. Show some respect. Alrighty, up next... My uncle once told me a story about a couple. The husband used to work in the force, so he would be sent out on long trips outside the village. His wife was usually lonely, but she befriended a man. He would sit on her courtyard wall with his back facing her, so she could only see his face when he turned around to answer back. It was a sweet friendship. One evening, she asked him to come over for tea and to bring his wife along with her. But instead of getting down and using the door, he took his leg and stretched it 10 feet down her wall to her side of the yard. He said, why didn't you offer me tea before? I'd love to have some chai with you. Guess what? You got to give that guy tea. If that happens, you give that tall leg son of a bitch some tea. All right, let's keep on going here. My friend was staying in the north of Morocco for the summer. One morning, she woke up with a big triangle of henna on her hand. She showed it to every person of her family and they said, the only valid reason that she was married was that she was married to a djinn now. She was never lucky in love ever since. Whoa, what the hell? Guess what? You're married to a djinn now. Alrighty, next one is a another excerpt. The assistant to the sheik switched the lights off and the sheik began reciting the Quran in a very strange way. He read it backwards and then read parts of the verses in really, really strange ways that I've never heard before. Suddenly he said, the jinn has arrived. Make your, present known, make your presence known by touching every one of us sitting in this small circle. That's when it got really scary and I felt almost an electric current running through my leg. As it went around the circle, everyone screamed almost at the same time. After that, the sheik asked the jinn to bring the evil curse which it had been cast. The jinn disappeared and we, we felt something rushing out of the window. It came back and suddenly it dropped something quite heavy onto the chandelier. It was a huge package wrapped in nylon and covered in mud. The sheik then unwrapped it and began reading these scrolls of paper written in Arabic, but also very strange writing. Shitty thing about that story is that's where that story ends. I have no idea what happened just prior or after that. Okay, let's keep going here. Recently, my mother-in-law was helping her daughter fix up her home, and as my mother-in-law stood in the hall, she heard someone whisper in her ear, You think you can move and get rid of us? Guess what? We are coming too. You'll never get rid of us. No one else heard that, though. That sucks. Okay, the next one says, My mother was visiting her parents. While she was praying in her room, she heard her mom laughing at her in the doorway. After she finished praying, she went to her mother's room and said, Why were you laughing at me earlier? My grandmother replied, I've been in bed for a few hours now. I wasn't laughing at you. My mom concluded it was a djinn trying to distract her from her prayers. In the same house, you could hear footsteps walking throughout the house and might feel someone sit on the bed while you're sleeping. I also used to have one in my bedroom every night around 3 a.m. 
I hear this old lady crying. We lived in the corner apartment on the top floor, and I couldn't find out where it was coming from. I thought it was coming from under my bed. It got so bad, I stopped sleeping in my bedroom. Yeah, I don't like that one. Next one says, In our old apartment, my oldest niece would wake up at 3 a.m. She would hear what sounded like a party going on and hear all of our voices, but when she would go into the living room, the lights would be off and nobody would be in the room. Uh, this next one says, um, I'm from Kenya too, and I remember this story when I was growing up. A young pilot disappearing. If I remember, he was Punjabi. And also remember my mom and her sisters talking in hushed tones about a Molana saying that he was in the something living amongst the locals. I was young at the time and didn't catch most of the story because my parents didn't want to spook the kids. Interesting stuff. The only context I have is what I heard over 25 years ago from a whispered conversation. But my parents were talking about a djinn. Talking about it as if it was a common thing. They knew about the djinn. They knew about the people around the djinn. And the pilot was found because of the djinn. Hmm. All right. I like that. Well, that's about it for the stories. I mean, there's a couple more, but, you know, where are we at with time? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to call it for these stories. So there you have it. There is a bunch of gin stories. That is the very, very tip of the iceberg about gin stories. There are a ton of these things. Like I said, this was a hard episode to do. I couldn't figure out what was real, what wasn't real, what was true, what wasn't true. More importantly... I couldn't really figure out how to do this episode. Like, I hope you guys liked what I did. I hope you, it was just kind of like a little bit of a hodgepodge all about the gin, kind of like a cursory thing about the gin, the types of the gin, what the gin are. Here's some stories about what the gin can do. But I got to be honest, like, after finding, about, finding out about all the types of the gin, I have no desire to try and bind a gin to me or even have the gin with me because it seems like unless you're incredibly lucky you're not going to get a there's not a lot of benefit for having a gin with you now look i'm not insulting a gin by any stretch of the imagination i think they're really cool very powerful things i'm just saying like no you're cool you guys stay there i'm good i'm good over here um i i found it really interesting that a lot of the paranormal stuff that I've talked about so many times can be attributed to the djinn. I wish that I could find something with specific dates that could really bring it back, like they were talking about the djinn being part of sleep paralysis in 1592, like that kind of specific stuff, because, again, it's really hard. You go down this rabbit hole of djinn after djinn after djinn, websites and videos and YouTube and blah, 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 and a lot of it gets so convoluted that I had to kind of decipher what was real or figure out most sites say this, so this is probably true. Most sites don't say this, so this probably isn't true. It was a lot. It really was a lot to, to do this episode. So I hope I did it justice. For the people that wanted me to do a gin episode, I hope I did it justice. For the people that said, don't tempt fate, don't talk about the gin. Well, I just spent you know, over an hour talking about the gin and weeks researching gin. Knock on wood, I don't, I'm not trying to tempt fate by any stretch of the imagination when I do these kind of things, but I'm hoping that I did it some, 
some service. I hope that I was right. I hope that you guys learned something. You guys enjoyed this episode. You were entertained by it. Whatever you get out of these kinds of episodes, I hope you liked this one. I, I mean, I guess, the, I guess that's the big thing. I hope you guys just liked it. Because this is definitely not the end of the gin. There's so much more stuff. A ton more stories. But as a quote-unquote introduction to the gin, I hope you guys like this one. Well, what do you guys think? Do you think that the djinn are responsible for sleep paralysis? Do you think the djinn are responsible for possessions? Do you think the djinn are real? Do you think genies are out there able to grant us our wildest wishes if you can word them quite right? You know, you gotta, again, they're kind of there to trick you, but if you word it just right, you may get something from your wildest dreams and it doesn't necessarily have to be a genie in a bottle. You just find a, a gene, uh, find a gin that seems to like you. They seem to grant your wildest wishes and your wildest dreams. Who knows? Um, I guess if any gin are listening, I'd like to be in a Star Wars. I think that'd be really cool. I'd really like to be in a Star Wars movie or TV show. You know, even if it's just like The Mandalorian, I'd like to be in a Star Wars. So if you like this episode and you feel like putting me in a Star Wars without some kind of weird, you know, trick. Hey, sounds good to me. If it's even just a voiceover in a Star Wars video game, sure. Let's do it. I'm all for that. Um, if you want to uh, make me rich, sure. You know, again, if you want to do it and, you know, there's not a lot of quid pro quo to this gin deal. Yeah, let's do this. Ultimately, um, you know, if you want to let me date, uh, like some really, like there's a couple of girls that I really like. If you want to get those girls to like me? Yeah, I wouldn't say no. I'm just saying, you know, if again, if you liked this episode, you feel so inclined, you know, let's talk. Alrighty, with that, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sambing, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Yeah.